0: Hey, thanks for listening to the RUF Tulsa podcast. Um, This semester, we are working through Jesus' upper room discourse with his disciples found in John 13 through 17. And this was the first week um, as we have gotten the habit of doing our students read the passage. And I don't have a way to record them well, so this is a separate recording I will read. The passage uh, preached this evening, and it was from John 13, verses 1 through 15. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, You do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. And Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean But not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. That's why he said, not all of you are clean. And when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garment and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do, just as I have done to you. Amen. Um, A common thing that I I hear from from you all, particularly our Christian students, so I recognize not everyone, it goes something like this. Um, I know that Jesus loves me, but I don't ever experience it. Why is that? Why is that, Caleb? Or maybe, how do I experience that? Um, there's, a, there's a book I read last year called Strange Rites, New Religion for a Godless World, It's by a woman named Tara Burton, and her book is, is research on the, the fastest growing religion in America, which she calls the SBNRs, the spiritual but not religious, people who believe there's something transcendent out there, and they're looking for an experience to tap into the divine, experience that bring peace and bring renewal, because she says the hunger, the soul is hungry for it. And the first chapter in, in the story is a story about her life and how she lived many years of her life in that camp, spiritual but not religious, and how she went to all these different experiences. One of her favorite ones was this immersive experience of Van Gogh. I don't know if you've ever been, have, raise your hand if you've been to one of these. These things are pretty cool. Um, we've had a friend who went, if you grew up in Houston, I know they're in Houston, I'm not sure if they've come to Tulsa or not. But she studies these things. Why do people go to these things? Because they're looking for a transcendent experience. They're looking for this wave of serenity and and beauty that overwhelms them. That for an hour or two hours, they may escape the worry and the hardship of their life. And she says right now these sorts of things are a hit because... This is in our DNA. We're wanting to tap into something bigger than ourselves. And so my question to you is, how do you experience the divine? How do you experience God? How do, or maybe even do you, would you fall into the camp of, I know God says he's loving, but I've never experienced that. How do I experience that? And that's what this text is is all about tonight. The first verse of the scene, if you want to look back at it, the first verse of the scene, it's a well-known scene. Here Jesus is, eating a final meal with his disciples, knowing that Judas is about to betray him, and that it's time to die and to be raised and to ascend to to his Father, it's come. And whether you're looking at the bulletin or you're looking at your own Bible, translations say something different at the end of this first verse. But it says, having loved his own, a.k.a. his disciples, having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the fullness of his love. Or maybe your translation says, he now showed them the full extent of his love, or he loved them to the end. And he loved them to the end is kind of an interesting sentence. Uh, We don't quite know what to make of that. Um, it's because that word, end, is the Greek word telos. And what, this, what John is saying here is that the end sort of love, the heavenly sort of love, the love that we'll experience in Christ for eternity, the fullness, the completed, the perfect love, now, one last time, he sits with his disciples and he shows them the fullness type of love with his friends. The heavenly love so that they might experience it. And so here we are. And so how do we experience the fullness of his love? That's what we're talking about tonight. And I want us to see two different things. Um, the first, we're going to somewhat step back So that we can step three steps forward, we're gonna. The point one is gonna be Christians are clean, and point two, Christians need washed. How do we experience God's love? Here's what I want you to do. I've done this exercise before. I don't think I've done it in a few years. Um, Perhaps you, maybe I'm wrong. I don't have a very good memory. Um, I there's reasons for that. Uh, But but I maybe did this last year. I apologize. But here we're gonna do it again. You're entering the semester, here's the, the very first week, or second week of the semester, first month. Here's what I want you to think about. You can keep this number in your head, or you can write it on your phone, or maybe write it on your bulletin. You're not going to share this number with anybody else. But for the Christians in the room, and I want you to listen closely to how I explain this. From a scale of 1 to 10, how does God see you tonight? A 10 is like, man, Caleb, I feel like we're doing really good. God and I are tight, and he sees me so well right now, like just killing it. One is like, Caleb, I got dragged here by my roommate. I haven't been to church in 13 years. I don't even know if God sees me, let alone if there even is a God. And if there is one, how could he even love me? That's one. So, one to 10... The question before you, how does God see you tonight? So, what I want you to think about. You can write it down, you can keep it in your head. And I'm going to come back to that number, so I want you to remember it. But I want to start with something else. I found out a super cool fact this week. Spencer Luttenberg has, has been to Disney World. He's been to Disney World 27 times, is that right, 27 times, 25 times, 25 times. That's amazing. Um, I've been twice, I was really hoping I had a picture, Um, but when I was three years old there is a picture floating out there, my mom has it, I was put on a leash. There is a picture of that. They also fed me dinner and um, gave me water out of bowls. Um, I was a crazy dog back when I was three. (laughs) Anyway, if you go to Mickey, this is an amazing picture. So this is the underground tunnel of Disney World. It's pretty cool. Um, I think it's just hilarious, actually. They can't can't not be in the costume. Uh, If you go to Disney World. What you're going to see is you're going to see these people walking around, particularly the, the main attraction is, is, is Mickey Mouse. Um, and everyone goes to see Mickey Mouse, whether you're young or old. Uh, Spencer, you still try to find Mickey Mouse and take a selfie with him every time. Um, but here's the thing about Mickey Mouse. Uh, you and I have no idea who's inside that costume. <laughs> um, right? Like, putting on these costumes total equalizer. Maybe it could be LeBron James. Could be a Kendrick Lamar. Could be Billie Eilish. Could be you. Maybe this is what you do in the summer. Uh, could be your arch nemesis. Who knows? You have no idea who's inside Mickey Mouse. Putting on the Mickey Mouse costume, so to speak, is a total equalizer, isn't it? Um, now, when I, when I say Christians are clean... What I mean is that no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what your personality is like, no matter who your family is, no matter where you're from, no matter what you did last week, no matter who you slept with this summer, you walk into this place, Christian, and for the rest of your days, into eternity, covered, not in Mickey, but in Christ. You know, Christians walk around for the rest of their days just as that person inside that costume walks around at Disney, and it's not the actual man inside or the woman inside that's beloved and adored, and five-year-olds are wanting to take selfies with that person. But the costume, they want to be around the person who has the costume on, who's clothed in Mickey. And in the same way, you walk around the rest of your days, Christian, Christian, Beloved and adored, not by five-year-old little girls, but by a God in heaven, because you are clothed in Christ. You have put on Christ. You are, the biblical word is, in Christ. The love that the Father has for his Son, and it's a great love. Now by faith in your union with Christ that Father has that same love for you right now. Now the very basic level um, I don't talk much about our, our RUF is Reformed University Fellowship. I don't talk much about explicitly what is Reformed Theology. I'll always have a cup of coffee and talk about it with you. But on the very basic level what it means to be reformed. And it can mean a lot of things. But the reformers realized this one central thing, that our union with Christ is the central doctrine of the New Testament. It is the central doctrine of Paul and Peter and James, that all that is Christ is ours by faith or by grace through faith. It's been fully given to you. You're clothed, just like that poor chap in there. You're clothed in Christ. All right. So I want to flesh this out from our text, and then I also want to flesh it out um, from a few other texts. So Jesus says to his disciples, I don't know if you caught this, it might have seemed like a contradiction. I have to wash you, or else you have no share with me. All right, we'll get there. Then he says a verse later, but you are completely clean. You've been bathed. You actually don't need to wash. Except for your feet. And then he goes on to say, you, speaking to the 11, are clean. But not all of you are clean. So how have they been made clean? Well, we're actually going to talk about this in a couple weeks when we look at John 15. John 15 verse 3 says, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Or in other words, they're clean because of the Word, because of the work, because of the ministry and the person of Jesus Christ. And they believe the Word, the long-forgotten, the long-begotten Word. That the Christ was coming, and that He was Him. And they believed it. And they were made clean. Mickey Mouse, for the rest of their days. They were made clean. By faith, they were clean. They believed the word. You know, most people who are raised in the church, if asked, what's the gospel? If I were to ask you right now, talk, turn to your neighbor, don't worry, I'm not going to have you do this, and say, tell them what the gospel is. Most of you would say something along the lines of, Jesus died on the cross for my sins so that I can go to heaven. Um, and that's, I get it. That's, it's kind of true. So much more than that, but it's kind of true. Um, I want to maybe give you a little bigger, a bigger vision for that. You know, the Bible says, for example, that we're broke. Um, if you've been in one of our RUF 101 groups, um, which is at the end of every year, and I kind of talk through the theology of RUF, you've maybe heard the story. But the Bible says that we are broke. You know, the, the Bible actually, to, to Wes's point, why do I hurt? The Bible actually has a story for that. It's called The Garden, and it's called The, the, the Serpent and Adam and Eve being deceived and mankind falling and the curse coming upon humanity. There's a story in the garden that explains why things aren't, as they are, aren't, how things aren't as they are to be. We're broke. We're separated from God. We're separated from one another and we're inwardly bent in on ourselves seeking the rest of our days our own glory. That's your natural hardwire. You're born like that. You just want to seek your own glory. Now imagine a broke person, financially, gets in a car wreck. Okay, The damage has to be paid by somebody. right? So the person who wrecked the car, they can pay it. Um, an insurance company can pay it. Or someone else can pay for it. But the, the debt doesn't just go away. right? So the story of the gospel, most of you understand if you were raised in the church, the story of the gospel is not that we pay for it ourselves. We're probably in agreement here. Now, some of you act like you believe that the insurance company pays for it. And what I mean by that is that if you've accumulated up enough good, you've kind of made these monthly deposits into the insurance company. Now, on the cross, your debt was paid, but you worked for it. You paid the monthly payment to the insurance company. And then they chipped in when when the going got bad. Some of you believe that. You might not voice it, but you believe it. But then the others of you actually believe that, that Jesus paid it all, right? That it was a free gift of grace. He paid off your debt. But here's the thing. that's still only half of the message of the cross. Because with that story, you're still broke. Remember, you are broke at the beginning. Then you got into wreck. So he maybe paid it off, but you're still broke now. But we believe the scriptures teach that on the cross, not only did Jesus pay off your debt, but that all of the cleanness of Christ, to use words from this passage, all of the never screwed up once record of Christ, all of the perfect obedience that Christ, as we read in Philippians 2, he obeyed to the point of death, even death on a cross. That record is now yours, Mickey Mouse, by grace, through faith. That when the Father of all creation looks at you, he sees the perfection of his Son because you're in him. You know, only two times in, in the Bible is the word Christian actually used. But in the New Testament, Paul alone uses the phrase in Christ 86 times. I think we could take away that to be a Christian is one who is in Christ. Um, I want to give you a few other references. John 17, we'll get there in a few weeks. This is Jesus' high priestly prayer. And what does he pray? He, this is one of, sneak peek, this is part of his prayer for us, those who have heard the teachings of the apostles, that we would be one, have mercy on us, God. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that, did you catch that? That they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you've sent me. Elsewhere we see throughout much of Paul's writing, we see in, in Galatians, we studied Galatians last year, this wasn't particularly a part that I highlighted, but what does Paul say? He's, he's reaching this very divided people, this, this Jew and this Greek and Gentile crowd. What's the message of bringing unity? He says, for as many of you who were baptized into Christ, you have now what? Put on Christ. Therefore, the person underneath Christ, the person underneath Mickey, it's not there. There's neither Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female. You are now in Christ. And you're one because of it. Or we see in 2 Corinthians Corinthians 5. Oh man, did I not put that one up there? Oh, my bad. Oh, whoops. 2 Corinthians 5, you guys were reading that the whole time. Um, You already saw this one. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, in Christ, he's a new creation. The old's passed away. Behold, the new has come. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. That's the first half. So that in him, we might now become the righteousness of Christ. We might become the righteousness of God. The cleanness of God is now ours in Christ. Last one, Romans 3. The righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the word pointing to Christ. The righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus for all who believe. There's no distinction. We've all sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. And we're now justified, made right with God by the grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. To be Christians is to be in Christ. To be united to him. Everything that is his becomes yours. You know, here in John 13, Jesus' final teachings to his disciples is what ignites the heart of John as he goes out and writes his his letters and and later Paul as he goes out and writes his letter and Peter, they're all sitting in this room. This is the heartbeat of the scriptures. This is the heartbeat of the ancient church. This is the heartbeat of the reformers that we are in Christ. Therefore you and I today and forever by his grace through faith are clean forever. Forever. So back to the exercise that I asked you. If you've done this exercise, you know that it was a trick question. And here's why. Because if you're in Christ, if you're a Christian, then God the Father sees you as blameless and as beloved. Because that's the way he sees the Son. So how does God see you tonight? That was the question. And through faith, you are ten out of ten might not feel like it, but that's the truth about your condition. Just as Jesus will always be a ten when we are in Christ, we are always and forever clean. No sin you commit tonight will damper that or stain that. No good work that you have tomorrow will wash that clean. We are always and forever in perfect standing with God, beloved and adored, because you're in Christ. Now, you might fear that, that message will simply make people not care. But it does the exact opposite. Here's what it allows us to do it that good news allows us to actually own up to our dirt, to be honest, and to be washed, which is the very way that we experience the love of God, which is the very thing that changes us. Which is the second point we need to be washed. So, the question is, if we are clean, why do we need to be washed? We are not washed to be made clean. That was the whole f- first point. I hope you get it by now. Um, you know, when I was your age, I, th- I think I believed that if I were to sin and not say sorry, and I were to die in that state, that I would go to hell. But that's simply not true. True. God stands outside of time. He doesn't see things in this linear, sequential thing. You know, in fact, the Bible says that before you and I were even made, you were chosen to be in him because he loved you. So we're clean forever because we believe the word and that he is the Christ. So we aren't in need of washing to be made clean. So why are we in need of washing? We're in need of washing to know and to experience his intimate self-giving, full extent heavenly type of love. We need to be washed so that we might experience the fullness of His love. How do we experience God's love through our being washed? Um, and that's easier said than done. You know, I don't know about you, but I don't get very very far from, from being like Peter, who says, you shall never wash my feet. In other words, I will clean myself. What are you doing? That seems like what the text is saying is if, if you are so certain that you shall never wash my feet, then it seems that Jesus is saying to you, then you shall never experience my love. Um, Man, I was really hoping he was here tonight, Um, but but last week we had the privilege of hearing the honest cry from our friend Regal, who stood up and said at the top of his voice, I need friends. And let me tell you, in that moment, if you were here, I bet you felt a deep connection and a deep care for that man. Because why? Because vulnerability and honesty, it calls out the little bit of compassion that's in your heart, and you want to respond. Now, in the same way, your weakness, your cry, your desperation, your sadness, your need your suffering, your sin, you believe that it's the very thing that keeps you from God. But if your small little heart with a little bit of compassion can hear that man cry out and you just want to move toward him, how much more the Lord, who is gracious and compassionate, when he hears you cry out, moves towards you. You think it's the very thing that keeps him from you. You think your sin, your struggle is the bridge or is the barrier to God, but it's actually the bridge. It's actually the bridge. You, you, you have to be in need of a wash to experience God's love. And his compassionate heart moves towards you. You know, over the last year, I've had a mentor, um, late in his 60s, we meet for coffee every Thursday. And a few years ago, his wife died of cancer. And he told me that for the few years that she was um, on chemo and just really sick, he says, I look back on the 40 years of our marriage, and those two years were the most intimate we've ever had. We've ever been. It's the most intimate love we've ever had. Why? Because intimacy, you know, the experience of love in a relationship, it comes through brokenness and weakness comes through brokenness and weakness. You know, one more example, there's a, there's a couple of, at our church. She, she suffers with, she, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said suffers. She lives with muscular dystrophy. She's written a lot about it. She is an awesome lady. Um, I look up so much to her faith. But she, she walks, she, she, you will immediately see her when she walks into a room. Because her, her muscles are, are, are not the way they ought to be. Not the way, to Wes's point, not the way they one day will be. But for now, she walks different. And we had them over a few months ago to our house for dinner, and I realized that, shoot, I have a step that comes up into our house. And she's going to have to go up that step, and she can't go up steps. And so right when she gets to our house, we're like, hey, we're so glad you're here. And she hops on the back of her husband, and her husband brings her up. And when they leave dinner, he, she hops on the back of her husband, and her husband brings her down the step and walks her to the car. And my wife and I, we sat down and I said, you know what? I bet they have the most intimate marriage I could ever imagine. You know why? Because every day she has to be weak. Every day she has to be in need. Love, experiencing love, comes when you're in need and broken and weak. And I get it. Your greatest fear and my greatest fear is to be Fully seen as weak and needy and rejected. And you have experienced that, and I'm sorry. Well, on the other end, humans' greatest flaw is to pretend about how you are and to be accepted. You and I both get that that's shallow. But to be fully seen and to be fully accepted, that's the love of Christ for sinners, that's the fullness of his love. That's the heavenly love that he wants you and I to experience. And that comes through admitting our need, admitting our fault, admitting our weakness, and being washed and forgiven by Christ. We are not washed to be made clean, because in Christ we're already clean. We are washed to experience his love. A pastor told a story about a kid who early on in his childhood um, his parents were, were taken away. Um, and he was put into the foster care system. And so for 10 years, he went in and out of homes. And um, finally, at the age of 17, he got really into drugs and alcohol. And at the age of 17, he was drunk and he got into a car wreck. Unfortunately, no one got hurt. He spent a few days in prison. Um, now, his biological dad growing up was a violent man. So he gets in this car wreck and... He's terrified to face his foster dad. He's scared about what's going to happen. And his dad, his foster dad picks him up and he gets in the car. And he says, "This son, I'm so glad you're okay. Let's go get you a new car." And they went and got a new car. And after that the dad told him that day about the gospel of grace. And the unearned forgiveness that we have in Christ. And that day that kid became a Christian, because he experienced it. And the pastor said, thirty years later, that kid is me. You know, Jesus, on his final night, in his final night, he gets down on his knees, he gets his hands dirty to wash the feet of these men, one of whom is about to betray him. And he declares to the world, to a world, the world that we live in is a world that operates by law. It operates by being put together. It operates by being good enough and trying harder. And he speaks to this world. He brings the heavenly, full, complete love into this world and says, my grace is sufficient for you. Believe. The more that we saturate and believe that word, just like the disciples are then commissioned, we then go out having received that sort of love and our eyes get bigger and we start to see the needs and the brokenness and the, and the cares of the world and the people around us and our heart and our compassion gets brought and moved towards them. And slowly, your friend circles in your dorms, in your Greek houses, in this campus, slowly but surely, this place starts to change because of the work of Christians who have been touched by the tender grace of Jesus and have been washed and experienced his love, then move out into the world and do the same for those around them. Let's pray. Um, Here's how I want to pray. I want to just spend a moment of silence. I want you, wherever you're at, to, we don't do this that often, but wherever you're at, if there's something that's just weighing you down, if there's a burden that you're carrying in, and, and you are scared to bring it to God because you think there will be backlash, might you be washed? I want to give you just a few seconds to just sit there and confess your sins. Confess and own up to your dirt. You're loved. In Christ, you are clean. Let's take a moment and just confess yourself.